a dream I had, though rather hard to keep. For when my eyes were watching hers, they closed, and I was still asleep. For when my hand was holding hers, she whispered words and I awoke. A faintly bouncing round the room, the echo of whomever spoke. I woke, faintly bouncing round the room, the echo of whomever spoke. The place I sought was far beneath the surface of the sea. My sight was poor, but I was sure the sirens sang the song for me. They dance above me as I sing. I see them crew a crystal haze. And hear their sweet sounds bouncing round The never-ending cold maze The crystal haze And hear them bouncing round the room The never-ending cold maze Then before and now once more I'm bouncing round the room Time then, once again Once again, I'm bouncing round the room. That time then, and once again, I'm bouncing round the room. That time then, once again, I'm bouncing round the room. That time then, and once again, I'm bouncing round the room. That time then, once again, I'm bouncing round the room. That time then, and once again, I'm bouncing round the room. That time then, once again, I'm bouncing round the room. And welcome to Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut. I'm Liam Allen with my friend Morissex. How you doing, MV? Boy, you just crushed that segue from the opener. <laughs> How did you do that? I had to dress halfway through the song. <laughs> I was I was not happy with my choice. Okay. Really? Oh, I thought all I thought to myself was the kid uh, did it again. Uh, no, 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 no. I was happy. I was not happy with it. <laughs> 
Okay, well, if we screw a bad start, <laughs> I will not hear it. I will not hear it. In fact, I'm going the other way. This is an auspicious moment for inside baseball with old chestnut. Hmm. Not only did we just cross the 300,000 download barrier mark, uh, um, I received in the mail, I will show this, I will hold this up and show this to Liam who can see it. Yep. To our listeners, this is the Golden Mike Award presented to us by the Swiss Hedge Fund Managers Podcaster Association of Switzerland. And every year they get together and they decide on their favorite financial podcast. And in the mail, I received this award. There's one for me. And one for Liam. So to all of our listeners in Switzerland, thank you. A heartfelt thank you from not just me and Liam, but from all of the staff here at Inside Baseball at mm-hmm. I, I would say um the self-assembly required part did take <laughs> a little bit. And it we were the surprise winner, by the way. Up in the uh level of surprise with Barack Obama, perhaps, winning the Nobel Prize, or maybe even Yasser Arafat. But <laughs> you take your victories where you can get them. Absolutely. <laughs> we proceed. So how have you been? Oh, just dandy. I've just been great. Uh, a wonderful week. Um, how about yourself? <laughs> um, you know, I hurt my back. Mm. Uh, and so now I'm getting back on the bike. And mm. uh, I rode uh, I rode for a half hour at about a hundred and 40 watts and um to put it into context uh when i was fit and could keep up i knew if i could produce 300 watts for five minutes there wasn't a group ride that i was getting dropped from right um so uh but that of course you know i think i was uh 70 kilograms or something like that and right 40 years ago. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there was, uh, I'd like to say, uh, not a lot caught my interest this week. I, you did mention there was a lot of chatter amongst uh, your uh, posse about the 10-year note. Um before we proceed, I just wanted to know which you want to talk about first, the twos or the tens or or the tens or the twos. I, I, I go both ways. No, 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 no. That's not true. That's not accurate. You asked because when I told you I wanted to talk about the ten, I said I want to talk about, you know, it was a big week in the bond market. And you said you want to uh, talk about the twos or the thirties. <laughs> what is this? A trick? <laughs> is this a trick question? Because there's the, the ten year has been the headline act all week. Okay, and then you just probably yeah. missed it. It's not not even worth talking. I'm, about. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got all for Klempt when uh, um, our friend Billy um, decided the world was coming to an end, and he bought puts on the thirty-year bond, which I kind of wondered about mm-hmm. surreptitiously. But a man with his length of experience in all sorts of markets and political. <laughs> uh, situations and the, the the alacrity with which he's eager to provide his opinion to 
all of those millions of people at a moment's notice. I mean, you can't underestimate the value of that. So, um, uh, yeah. Um, so I was on the bike uh, upstairs because, uh, uh, you know, I, I haven't been cleared to leave the house. So <laughs> not exactly true. Um, but, uh, you know, I did hurt my back. Travis has been coming over mm-hmm. trying to straighten me out. And uh, I made some comment about going for a, a drive. And he's just like, you're driving? And I look at him, I'm like, fuck yeah. I've had to, I've had to watch these old people drive my whole life. It's my turn. <laughs> my turn. Um, but anyway, as I was on the bike, uh, as you can attest, especially when you're on a, a trainer, meaning you're inside, you're not going anywhere. Yep. You're not going to fall off. You, you just can kind of, kind of deep into the zone. And I started thinking about families and, you know, how right now one ethnic or racial cohort is having trouble because they claim that the fathers, there isn't a father in the family and this and that. And it reminded me, about the mothers, and I all of a sudden realized there there are three mothers relatively closely attached to the show. One would be mine, one would be yours, and one would be Leslie's. And um, I was thinking how a couple of the comments your mother has made about sorry doesn't fix the lamp, and there was one about the nail in the coffin. How does that go? The worst is uh, you can you can take the nail out of the coffin, but the hole is there forever. <laughs> like, okay. come, on, come on, mom. Okay. Okay. That's 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 rough. That's that's rough. Yeah. Um, you know, we get a lot of really good ones uh, from uh, Leslie's mother. I believe her name was Olga. I do believe. I do believe, like I said, this show is based upon a true story. Um, I do believe I met her at the funeral of Leslie's father, which was my first trip to Queens. And uh, it might have been my last trip to Queens. I don't understand how they get the streets going. You've been in Queens, right? Streets and avenues? Yeah. I can can put you in Queens on the Mm -hmm. night of the murder. Mm -hmm. What what is it? The numbers, they don't don't go up and down. I lived lived at 249th Street and 82nd Avenue. 249-09 82nd Avenue, okay? Which means 249 was the cross, 82nd was the avenue. And then if you looked at a map, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, (laughs) okay? Okay. So now I understand why I haven't been back. Yes. Um, because it's supposed to be one of the great melting pots. It's the best. Uh, uh, right? Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. But uh, Leslie's mother uh, came up with a number of good ones, including you can do it, but it's a tough way to make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall her saying you, no money and having a grudge against the market, although, you know, posthumously we're going to award her that one. Yep. Yep. And then I came up with a couple of things my mother had said. And I have to be honest with you. I've gotten cold feet. In hindsight, 
they were just so fucking mean. Come on, let's go. <laughs> no, I'm no, no, no. This no, not a shot. This one I'm taking with me to my grave, because remember the story um, where I talked about the soup was the oh, soup yeah. hot enough? Not, oh, yeah. And and I know um, the people who trade tapes of our podcasts. That's called the chicken soup tape. So if you ever see it yeah. traded at our concerts, mm-hmm. you'll know. Mm-hmm. No, but I I just remember one was just so fucking awful. But long story short, when youngest daughter did one of those days with the broker that mm-hmm. they do for the for the kids, um, youngest daughter asked the broker if they could describe me. And the broker thought for a moment, and and this is a nice, smart, highly educated guy. And he said, um, how would I describe your dad? And uh, he said, particular. And um, I now know why I carry that, that trait. I was given instructions, mm-hmm. not completely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I followed them to the best of my knowledge, okay. and I was summarily reprimanded. <laughs> Maybe one night out under my gazebo after my third tequila, I'll tell you. But yeah. short of that, dude, it, it. it's, it's <laughs> that one's going to be lost to history. Understood. Understood. Formative. Formative. Formative yeah. situation in your life. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you had sent me some pictures. I hope this doesn't break the fourth wall, but you had taken small to see the Concord. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we went down to the Intrepid. Yeah, down the Intrepid. Yeah. The Intrepid uh, for the listeners that don't know, the Intrepid is a retired battleship down on the uh, on the west side of New York, down on the pier. They parked the battleship. They got the fighter jets up on the deck. And you can walk around the museum and it is fantastic. My dad took me when I was a little kid. I got a kick out of it. I took my daughter down. Um, they've got the space shuttle indoors. You can see the space shuttle and they've got the Concord. The old British Airways Concord is parked there right on Pier 86. And uh, it is a wonder of of modern engineering. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a beauty. incredible it's plane. A yeah. Beauty. Yeah, yeah. I, I know I've told you I, I haven't. I'm not sure I mentioned it on the podcast, but uh, in 1995, uh, I was asked, would I be interested in moving to London and take over the foreign trading? And uh, I hemmed and hawed. And, you know, I knew in the back of my mind, in our business, you never want to be away from two things. One is the home office and the other is your revenues. If you can hang on to those two things, you're you're invincible, right? So <laughs> I said, you know, not, not thrilled about going to London, but if you guarantee me, uh, I can have my choice of assignments when I wanna come back, We'll do that, but it has to be something that um, Cheryl okay's because you know we're asking her to pick up 
and move her life. And so they, um, uh, and the one thing Greenwich Capital, in my experience, did was they 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 treated us like rock stars, like everything was the best. So Cheryl's, I don't know, pick a number, seven months pregnant with Kate or something like that. And so they fly her over first class, put her up at the Lanesboro, get her a driver. She goes around looking for places to stay. And, um, you know, I think the budget was 1,500 pounds a week to rent. And she called me up and she said, uh, you're not going to believe this. Now, because this is a long time ago, right? So 1,500 pounds is, it had to be at least three grand a week, right? She goes, there's nothing here we can live in. And and you've met my wife. She's yep. not, I know. you know, she's yep. not a softie. She'll, mm-hmm. and I, I said, well, what do you think it'll take? And I said, I, I have no idea. She, she had no idea. And I said, listen, just tell the guy what you want to see have them show it to you. You tell me the price, and then I'll yep. go get it get it signed off on. And it was some ginormous number, which ultimately one of the Greenwich Capital guys took. I think it was a half million bucks a year in rent, uh, right around uh, Harrods. I forget the name of the street. But yeah, okay. yeah. But anyway, you know, then Cheryl knows we have two daughters with the third on the way so now we have she just goes around looking for schools she gets the kids the three girls signed up at this lady eden's school maybe something like that um of course you know we're having to pretend we're not jewish you know which is which is like that joke what what church do you belong to and 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 shows that we're goyim (laughs) (laughs) sorry um anyway Cheryl comes back on the concord because Mm -hmm. they're they're benevolent plus they're trying to sway the decision and uh she says well look i honestly mbi i don't i don't think it's for us i i don't think we'll fit in i i think the rent I think we don't know anybody. I've already done that once. And uh, she said, how about you commute? You you go over Sunday night. You come back Friday night. And um, every couple of weeks, you work out of the Greenwich office. And I'm like, well, I, sure. Well, let me see. I, I don't know that the guys will go for it, but. In any event, uh, they decided to do that. And it, it, other than the wear and tear on my body uh, and mind and spirit, it worked out great. It, mm-hmm. it was a long fucking three years, but we, we killed it. And, um, but one of the things they did for me, which was insanely generous, was Sunday night I would fly first class over. And this was like old school first class, right? And then I would take the Concorde home on Friday night. 
which the beauty of that was you got two rush hours. You got the rush hour Friday leaving London to Heathrow. Yep. Then you landed at Kennedy Friday night at 5 p.m. So I got the three hours to get home. Yeah. 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 And the three hour and 20 minute flight on the Concorde, which was supposed to be so cool. Well, the first or second time, it was really cool. The 300th time, when you're sitting on these Recaro bucket leather seats, you can't move. Imagine being on a regular flight and having a 200, 300 pound guy next to you. That's what it's like. So, yeah, it's only three hours and 20 minutes, but it's being in a race car for 320. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, a couple of thoughts, which I, I think one kind of neat, the other kind of silly. One was, this is pre-9-11. So it was standard operating procedure for them to have the cockpit door open on takeoff and landing. No way. Yeah. And when you got to be a regular, okay, which at this point, you know, I had become, you could sit in the cockpit on takeoff or landing. <laughs> and I did that a couple of times. So that that was pretty cool. But the most amazing thing, the thing that I don't know if anyone will ever in numbers experience ever again is on a couple of times during the year, you would take off in London at sunset. And mm-hmm. about a half hour, something hour into the flight, the sun would set and it would go dark. No. And about an hour before you landed at Kennedy, you saw the sunrise. Incredible. And then the sunset again. And yeah. that was that was pretty yep. cool. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, and I did uh, get so many points that I did make a point of getting all three kids a flight once yeah. on the Concorde so they yeah, could yeah. say that they, they did that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm really pleased about that. Now, the vulgar part of the story is, um, and remember, this is based upon a true story. Um, Our friend uh, DJ Saul talking about getting uh, fellatio the night before. Um, I had a colleague who got a, um, yes, on the Concord. Mm -hmm. And um, there's, there's, Several things that I find amazing about this. One is, if you've never been on a Concorde, now I'm five foot ten, okay? So when you walk into this bathroom, you can't pee standing up because of the, because, uh, yeah. yeah. So, like, now, I, I mean, I'd have to sit down now. Yeah. Back then, I was limber enough that I could kind of, you know, not make too much <laughs> so how somebody pulled that off um i kudos to them yeah the, the the one time i took the kids and thank god they were young enough not to know what was going on we came home on a saturday morning and there was some guy was clearly with a business colleague uh on extracurricular activities and the two of them went into the bathroom simultaneously which again just incredible gymnastics must yeah, happen yeah, yeah. and uh it it kind of begged the question what what is the urge to do such things 
in flight. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I guess just a sign I'm getting older. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, that's my experience. Although I guess it comes up the context of uh, DJ Sal uh, because, you know, he's pretty open and notorious. And I'm sure if he had been a guy who had gotten that done, he'd have been telling everyone about it. Now, I didn't, and call me lazy, but I remember last week I forecasted that in some period of time, and I think I said Goldman Sachs will not exist in its current state. Yes. Is that how I phrased it? Yes. Okay. Because yeah. it, it had come up, and I had discussed it with our all things Goldman specialist, who shall rename uh, remain anonymous. But I want to revisit this just for sake of clarity. I think I think they'll be around. It's just not going to be like it is today. And and so I ran my theory by our expert, and I said to him, you know, you've got all these partners fighting, right? Because that's what rich people do. They fight over money. And um, we agreed that the future of the industry is going to be in wealth management. And so I said to him, do you think it's plausible the wealth management partners get enough momentum going to argue for a sale of that division enriching themselves at the expense of less powerful partners or less profitable departments. And uh, this person agreed with me. So I think that's probably what's going to happen. You know, you get enough senior leadership leaving. Uh, you had some guy saying, oh, if, if, uh, if they fired Solomon, the stock would go up or the stock would go down or this, I, I don't know. But, you know, you, you, uh, you have poor leadership, you have people leaving. It, there's a story that they've, they're going on a massive hiring spree. And it, this is one of these great things. It's like, is the glass half full? They're going on a hiring spree because they you're laughing. You know what I'm talking about? There's an article that says that a lot of their, uh, um, compliance related issues aren't up to speed or something like that. Yeah. Can you help me out there? Yeah. I'm looking for the exact wording. It was the Bloomberg. It was a Bloomberg headline. Um, it said they were hiring, uh, give it to me. Hold on one second. Um, wall street, like big tech fired thousands of people over the past year, per partially in contemplation of the much advertised recession that never was. But at least one bank is suddenly hiring again, albeit for a rather unique reason. A fresh bout of regulatory scrutiny has set off a hiring spree at Goldman Sachs, it turns out. The Wall Street firm is said to be enlisting several hundred new staffers to help address concerns from authorities, including the U.S. Federal Reserve. <laughs> so it depends yeah. on how you read it. <laughs> oh, we're hiring yeah. hundreds of staffers. Concerns from the Federal Reserve. <laughs> That's always words you want to put together. Like uh, Dave Chappelle said, you never put the 
<laughs> and the word Jews together. Right, right, right. right. Um, um, so, yeah. So if you're a minority, if you're a woman, plenty openings at okay. 200 West Street. White male Jews need not apply. Well, thank um, you. Oh, thank you. Unless you worked in general counsel or you worked over at the... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, man. So I uh, read all sorts of things. And um, uh, I somehow got on the list for this thing that a guy named Graydon Carter, uh, he used to be kind of big in publishing, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 220, 221. Everything. He did a story talking about, uh, let's see if I can find it. He did a story talking about um, the way Epstein helped Leon Black and um, the major component of Black paying um, Epstein $158 million worth of work for um, uh Tax estate estate plan estate planning. Now, uh, being old and Jewish, I took the required course load in estate and tax planning. And um, when I saw the notes and read the article, I I found it uh, curious because the things that, uh, at least in the in the uh, Graydon Carter article that they they pointed to uh i'm intimately familiar with um one is called the basis step up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the other thing is called a grant known as a grantor uh retained gr grantor retained annuity trust now um when you buy the book estate planning for dummies okay Page one is the basis step up. I know. Okay. Yeah, I know about the basis step up. Okay. I've known about it for 10 years because of you. Okay. You explained that like in dinner 10 years ago and like seared it into my mind. You were like, look, this is how it works. Okay. You're going to get the house for 50 grand. Okay. When you inherit it, if it's worth a million bucks, you're going to get taxed on it. Okay. This is not how you want it to happen. <laughs> So they have the basis step up. And then this other thing, the, the grantor retained annuity trust, or is the guy who taught me about it. Now, the first person, I like to give credit where credit due. The first time I heard about it was from a friend of the show, Big Ed. He explained it to me. But later on, uh, you know, when it was time, um, somebody kind of showed me how it worked and it's, it's pretty simple. Um, I, I will, uh, at the risk of getting sued, um, uh, I'll try and just cut to the chase and kind of give you a simple explanation as to why the notion that someone would pay 158 million for legal work seems a bit odd. So um, just uh, asterisk, Morris Sachs does not provide tax advice, nor does Liam Allen or any of the employees 
or affiliates of Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut. Uh, so the basis step up is is this: when when you die, uh, your heirs inherit your assets at the then current market. Meaning, if you bought IBM stock at a dollar a share and you die with it when it's five hundred, you inherited it at the value of five hundred dollars. Now that capital gain from one to 500 is never taxed. Now you may pay a state tax on the gain, which above some extremely large number, I'm guessing it's in the order of, the, order of magnitude of 12 or $13 million. Below that, there's no tax. Above that, it, it's something you know, in the 30 something percentile. I know if you live in Connecticut, it's it's like 50%, which is why people are leaving Connecticut for a whole host of reasons. Um, but uh, I don't know if I did a good job explaining it. It's really not that complicated. Um, uh, the other thing is a little more complicated, but nonetheless, not so complicated that I don't have eight grats named Sachs grats number ones through eight. <laughs> they were described to me by uh, my at then time private wealth manager as heads I win, tails I break even. The grat uh, goes something like this. The, the IRS gives you a number of options as to how long a grat can be. And depending on the length of the grat, there's an associated interest rate component attached to it. So for instance, let's say, try and make these numbers work. Let's say uh, it's a 10-year grat and I put a million dollars in. Now the idea of putting something in a grat is it's something that you think is going to appreciate in value. So over time, uh, it appreciates. And if it works right, you move it out of your estate into a trust so that when you pass, your heirs don't pay the state tax on it. Repeating it again, I'm not making any promises I have this right. Do your own research, but this is my sense of it. So let's go back to our example of a 10-year grant. And let's use a million dollars just because it's easy to, to do the math on that. When you go to an attorney, they will do up the documentation. They will go to an IRS website. They will pull down an interest rate and then they will give you a schedule. And each year during that time, you are going to have to remove a certain amount of money from that grant. And um, at the end of the life of the grant, if there's more money than you started with, that balance goes into a, a, a trust. 
and is now out of your state. If at any point during the life of that grat, either the grat holder dies mm -hmm. or you cannot make the grat payment, the grat fails and it closes up and the money is returned to the you know, grat holder and that's the tails I break even. Yep. So uh, I know in my example, I had many of these uh, airport deals. And uh, so what we would do would be, we would go out and we would get a couple of independent valuations on what these things were worth. And, and there's a whole industry built around this and it's, it's, uh, it's legitimate. I mean, I mean, these these guys have some, you know, uh, skin in the game. I mean, it's not the skin in the game a, a board of director of Goldman Sachs would have, obviously, because they've got a limited liability. Oh, hang on, I'm wrong about that. Let's just let's just throw that one aside. Anyway, you get a valuation, and I knew these airport things. We were. were we paid the market price because we bought them in competitive structures, but I knew that it was a small field of people applying and I had a great sense they would, they would increase in value. So uh, I would transact, we would buy the airport investment and uh, I'd get an independent verification. And they go out and it's, uh, you know, I've got them. I, I'm not going to post them because it's private, but they do a, a real research report. Um, and so uh, the accountants and the attorneys sign off on it. And so I stick them in the grad. And now I have a grad schedule. And every year I take a little bit of money out of the grad. And as these grads mature, and I'm still alive, they they move into this trust. And when when I go, they will move to the next generation and avoid that um, uh, state tax. Mm -hmm. uh, assuming, in my case, I'm above the, the threshold. Yep, There's yep. a minimum before your tax. So, so um, I, I don't think I've done an eloquent job of explaining uh, these things. But uh, certainly, I think it's worth something um, close enough. And I, I don't think for an incremental $158 million fee, you're going to gain a lot more out of it, which really begs the question, you know, how is uh, Leon Black still walking around? Because um, he got the blessing of this law firm, Deckert which is supposed to be a specialist at these sorts of things. But I would claim that I, I think somehow there was a wink and a nod and they look the other way because uh, the, a basis step up transaction and a grat, which by the way, these things are so ubiquitous. I am sure that you could go online for free, like getting a will done. Like mm -hmm. you, I haven't done it, but I imagine you go get a will done. 
Oh yeah. There's some website and oh yeah, legal zoom. Yeah, right. Yeah, legal zoom. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. 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 So there's more going on. Uh I, I you know, I'll I'll leave that alone. But okay. I've I've poked the I've I've poked the snake with the stick enough like Chris Carmichael to uh, yeah. to move along. But um the one thing, you know, I try and understand and keep in mind we speak to all levels of financial acumen and we cross a lot of uh, wealth time zones, so to speak. And I do think that as much as I hate to admit it and fought it my entire life, I think for people who are regular, regular mom and pop people, you know, the notion of having life insurance whether it be term when you're younger, which is what I did, uh, because, you know, shit happens. You don't want to leave the family in the lurch. Term tends to be relatively uh, inexpensive. Uh, as you get older, and this is what I did. Yeah. I used it as a, an estate tax planning vehicle. Um, I, I don't think it's my job here to make you an expert in these things. I just would want to alert you to things that are in the law that are, you know, wealth enhancers. And I, I kind of chuckle because it's not exactly the same, but, you know, people sell newsletters about the market's going to do this and the market's going to do that. Well, I, I don't know any newsletter you can get for free that shows you how to put up a 50% ROA, which is effectively what we're talking about here, right? Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. uh, going when, back to the when did this become your when did this become your pet project? Because this is your this is your hobby. You know, some guys play golf. Some guys, <laughs> this has been your favorite. Like, no, what what excites you more, dude? You, there's nothing. There's nothing that my, that you would rather talk about or spend time than doing than than figuring out and learning the loopholes. And dude, there's it's it's more nothing satisfies you more than like coming. It's, it's yeah, such. It's I so love. Deep. You're right. You're right. You're right. I it it it's the sort of thing. Look. I wanted to be a trader my whole life. That I've never made a secret of that. And um, it, there's just something about sitting down with pen and paper, okay, and just figuring out ways to do smart things. And maybe uh, it's because there's a carrot in it. Like if I get it right, um, the the stick there hasn't been a stick for a long time, right? I was was pretty lucky, and um, you know we talk about Greenwich and the Halcyon days, and you know I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, the notion of the primary dealer thing, and 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 you know I, I'm never gonna gonna let that go because you know. Um, in my time at Greenwich Capital, which I think was, I don't think I was there 20 years, say, there, say 18 years. I have 18 years 
of P&Ls, okay? And for rough numbers, 90% of the guys who traded on the dealership desk were profitable, 90%, okay? The guys who traded for me, it was roughly a little north of 50%. Now, that's why the primary dealership thing for me is a little bit of a red herring because we, we were part of a company that was a primary dealer. But the market rates were the market rates. So it wasn't like I got a different rate than Citadel prop desk got or millennial prop desk did or any of these other guys. And not only that, we paid in, I think I'll check with uh, EG. I think we paid a nickel, meaning five basis points on every repo is a tax to fund the repo desk. On top of that, we paid full bore expenses. So I paid a full share of legal, a full share of compliance, a full share of rent, a full share of electricity, such that the, the expense number got so big and people used to bitch so much about it. I'm like, look, we're not doing it this way anymore. I'm going to get a department total. I'm going to allocate the expenses. Then you're going to get your comp. And you are going to spend zero time arguing with, you know, accounting that your publication expense of 38 grand is too high. Because guys were wasting hundreds of hours, right? And I just said, this is just, this is just too inefficient. And uh, again, it, it was a great time saver. Um, but you know, I, I just look back at, at that time and we were on such a, a freaking mission. Uh, I don't know that anyone, and I hesitate to even mention it now, but I, I think I will just so you can grasp an order of magnitude. So, and, and I'm going to use rough numbers because we crossed a lot of time periods and a lot of management changes and such like that. But our group had a budget that they wanted us to make $100 million top line a year. And we had a loss limit of $20 million. So think about that for a minute. Our objective was 100, but if we lost 20, we were done for the year. Okay. Now, I don't think we hit budget, meaning I don't think we made 100 every year, but I think we made it most years. And I, I remember distinctly... Um, after uh, I had ended up through um, attrition, ending up running all of the prop group, having a discussion with uh, my friend partner slash head of Greenwich, Ben Carpenter, he said, 
we had a meeting and he said, you know, I, I thought, uh, you know, I'd like to see how you, how you saw the year plan out. What'd you think you're going to make? And, and I said, yeah, yeah, we'll probably make a hundred million dollars. And he'd be like, well, how are you going to do that? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I didn't know. And he goes, well, how'd you come up with that number? I'm like, oh, that's what we seem to make. <laughs> and then and then the following year, it was a similar conversation. And then the following year, there was no conversation anymore. Yeah, yeah, we know your number. Yeah. Um, anyone who has a serious question about the truth of that, I I can uh uh I can validate that. And uh I I'm hoping you you take me at my word because I can back it up. But, uh, um, you know, that's was one of those things. It's like, and it, and it really still exists to this day with me where I, I, you can say my calls have been good. My calls have been bad. This, that, or the other thing. Yeah. Whatever. I, it, I don't wake up in the morning worrying about losing money. I don't even think about how am I going to make money? It just, I just wake up feeling like, I'm going to make money. And um, it, it, this statement comes at an interesting time because I wanted to mention this uh, last week and I got caught up. You dragged me down that rabbit hole of DJ Sal. Uh, and I'll never forgive you for that. <laughs> but there's this big debate and you brought it in indirectly vis-a-vis -vis the 10 year no yield. Okay. I have to be completely honest. It's open and notorious that I've been a believer in the Lacey Hunt approach, which is, you know, it is an over debt burden. It's going to slow the economy, recession, deflation, and it hasn't happened. Now, uh, I don't know. I have I been wrong? I yeah, I, I've been wrong. But more importantly, is I'm sitting here and I I don't know. I absolutely not have no fucking idea what's going to happen. So what do I do? I have moved the vast majority of my liquid assets into the two-year note, which as of last night's close of business was a 493 and um this is my view on it which is if interest rates go up sharply i'm going to lose some money on the two-year notes i'm operating under the assumption that if two-year note rates go up sharply there's going to be other assets which are going to go down more sharply based on duration. And uh, I'm more than fine with selling my two-year notes at a loss. Let's say they go down 15%, but something else that's terrific goes down 40%. I'm not going to view that as a 15% loss. I'm going to view that as a, well, I could say a 40% gain, but I, I would just say, I'm just getting into it. And that's one of those things that is true for traders 
at no matter what level you operate at, you know, don't be terrified by losses. I, I think that's just one of those things. And that's, um, I'm not going to claim it's easy to do, but it's way easier to do when you can talk yourself into saying, look, I, I moved into something safe because I didn't know. And so I lost less than I might have. And that that's real. That's real money. That's not hypothetical money. If if you lose 50 grand instead of 500 grand, you know, you can make an argument you're 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 way better off. And and that's for me at this point when we come to this, you know, fork in the road, you take it. I I find this an unusual circumstance and that I'm not going to try and pick what is an inflation number that matters. You know, they, they're seasonally adjusted. They're biased in favor of rental or not rental or this or that. It 5% is a pretty good number. And to be in an environment where you can get 5% doing nothing I, I think that's pretty unique, and I'm delighted to kind of be uh, afforded the opportunity to wait it out. Now, you could say, well, what if rates fall a lot? Um, then that's going to be a little bit of a missed opportunity because of the duration. The two-year note will not appreciate in price as much as a 10-year will. But you know, unlike a grat, where heads I win, tails I break even, you know, there's there's no free lunch. You have to. So in my case, uh, a lot of the things I had owned that had been a longer duration, um, I lightened up on significantly last week. Uh, not a lot in time was different than when uh, Billy Ackman was talking about the United States and the budget deficit and this and that. Um, what struck me is I think we have begun the process, either begun or continuing the process of the normalization of the yield curve. So you're seeing normalization in supply chains you're seeing some of the labor stuff stay strong, but some of the ratios are coming back to more normal things. I think housing supply may be coming into better balance. Um, so it would not be inconsistent to see the yield curve normalize, but with a two-year note at a 495, 495 and a 30 year at a four and three A's, so inverted by 50 basis points or something. I think it'll give on both ends, meaning the, the yield will decline in the front end. But I think a bigger impact will be out the back, meaning the longer dated stuff. And so, you know, I could see something like, uh, you know, a, a four and three quarter two year note yield and a, and a 
five and a quarter percent long bond or something. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so you'd be talking about a 90 basis point backup in 30 year bonds. I mean, that's, I, I don't, I'm not going to guess at the numbers, but that could be 10, 15, 20, 30, 10, 10 points, 20 points, something like that. And, that, and that'll, that'll leave a mark, you know, not only in the bond market, but if the longer duration assets jump that much in yield, um, I don't see how your, you know, your garden variety stock is going to hang in there. Um, one thing I wanted to to talk about, if I haven't put you to sleep already, is this argument, uh, the one. Billy was talking about why he's buying puts on the 30-year bond because the United States of America is going broke and, and all that. And, and so I have heard that hand on my heart since 1984 when right. I worked at Arbor G. Lanston. Yeah. And we had the annual Anston Klein dinner and Irv Auerbach got up and was just effusive about how the budget deficit of 200 billion i don't know, whatever the number was it can't go on forever blah 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 and let me explain my take on it and you can agree with it or not but you uh, grant yeah. me a second let's go to let's go to commercial message while i have a sip of water the commercial message is Morris is doing the show next week by himself because I'm going on vacation. Um, so you get so so no no we're we're taking the week off. I'm going to Canada. <laughs> Perfect. I'm going to New Hampshire. Good. No show next week, folks. So, so <laughs> today's the... show was. Go ahead. By the two year, folks. We'll see you in September. <laughs> I'm good with that. I know. I know. Me too. <laughs> Today's show brought to you by the Hillary Clinton School of Cattle Trading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so let's go back to last week's episode mm -hmm. where I uh, attempted as best I could to explain the accounting identity of assets equals liabilities plus net worth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what I think people fail to understand about this budget deficit and um, things of that nature. Uh, it's it's eminently solvable. There's no question I mind that all of these things can be fixed. And I'll give you a few examples, but with the asterisk, it requires political will. So I'm not gonna claim that our Nancy Pelosi's and Dianne Feinstein's and everyone else who's got their snout in the trough is gonna do the right thing. But when we go back to our assets equals liabilities plus net worth, right? So we all see the liability here which is the borrowing by the federal government. What we don't see and talk about is the asset side. And a couple things is, one is 
there is an asset and I'm not sure how we would present this on the balance sheet, but the United States of America has the right to tax its citizens. What rate they pick, that's up to our elected officials. Okay. But that's an asset. And I believe there are accounting principles which might in some way, shape, or form allow you to put a number on what that yep. is. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And if they're not allowed to do it for gap accounting, certainly, you know, you can put pen to paper. Okay. Now, the point is, if we keep borrowing more than we take in, eventually none of this is going to hold. But again, my point is the asterisk, there has to be political will. So what other assets do we have? Now, again, we can debate on what these things are worth, but every one of those jets that you see, every aircraft carrier you see, every Tomahawk missile you see, okay, that's carried on the books at zero. That's been expensed. But it, a missile that hasn't been fired is worth something. Now, again, we can debate what that's worth. You may say, well, it's worth nothing because it's only got one purpose. And But I guess in theory, you could sell it to the Saudis mm -hmm. or you could sell it to somebody else. And then all of a sudden, that is converting one asset on your books for another. Um, again, I don't know how this would go, but let's just for sake of argument say, government says, uh, I hate to do this, but Central Park, let's see your bid. Yep. What's that number gonna be? Yep. I, I have no idea what that number is gonna be. A lot. Billion dollars, five hundred billion dollars, trillion dollars, two trillion dollars. Now, would it be a tremendous loss in quality of life? Yeah, yeah, it, it would be. But again, that's an asset that doesn't show up on the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. uh, the Grand Canyon. I've been there. It is. It's grand. Worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. How about all those mineral rights that that all that oil oh, yeah. that the government has? So again, if the elected officials were ever smart enough to understand this, and thank God we know they're not, um, they'd be spending like drunken soldiers, so or sailors rather. Forgive me, I misspoke, but. Uh, you're following what I'm saying. I'm not claiming we can continue along the ways we're going. But it, again, it's this misinterpretation of accounting that leads people to, I think, in, incorrect conclusions. I know somehow this will get twisted. I hope it won't, but it'll be good, twisted into old chest that says, Everything's fine. Fire away. Uh, that is clearly not the case. 
I, I just, you know, there's, there's reason or there, there are options to be reason, uh, reasons to be optimistic, but not when you have women like Nancy Pelosi. I mean, look what she did to San Francisco. Can you imagine? Destroyed. It's destroyed. Yeah. They destroyed that city. The city's rotten. Yeah. Yeah, I, I you know, and, and yet senior senator Ch Chuck Schumer, you know, somebody told me this once, the most dangerous place in the world. You know where that is? It's the distance between a camera and Chuck Schumer. Yeah, since I've been a kid. I know. I know. Yeah, all my life he's been on TV on Channel Four, bumping his gums about something in New York. Yep, he's been he's yeah. as long as I'm alive. Yeah. So I'm 63. I I had a birthday last week or two weeks ago. And again, you know how things mock me in life. The kids were gave me this delightful gift of the Apple headphones. Okay. Why do you ask, does life mock me? Because, as I've said before, I went with E.G. and Christo to Jackson Hole to go skiing, or in my case, snowboarding. And Christo, uh, he's the guy that uh, uh, was the brains behind Succession. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had an iPod. And I look at this thing, and I'm like, this is fucking real. And what was it? It had gone from seven to 10 or something like that. Acceptable. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, it, it, it's not even like the seven, it's like seven. Now that, it, that was like seven cents. I mean, it, <laughs> Dude. and I, and I said to Leslie, I was telling the story to Leslie. It's like, this is the best fucking set of headphones I've ever had. Now, I've been spoiled because of EG. You've yeah. been mm -hmm. into my my study. You know, we're talking about Krell, class A, 100 watt per channel, pure power on synergistic sterling silver cables through a Richard Gray power cleaner, which is running through the newest technology yeah. Digital analog converter through BMW yeah. Diamond speakers, right? Yeah, and I'm telling you, these headphones are are better. Incredible, incredible. Um, but my question to Leslie is, how do they keep fucking doing it? And his answer, in true Leslie fashion, is pretty simple. He says, when you have the smartest fucking people in the world lining up at your door wanting to go to work for you good things are going to happen it's true it really is and and when i was young and that place was greenwich capital yeah we killed it yeah and uh yeah so how are we doing time wise we're done we're out of here um we are oh yeah, good yeah, good. Enjoy Canada. What's going on up in Canada? There's some problems up there. You want to you want to speak? You want to get us? You're going to report back. You're going to get a State of the Union when you come back from there. No, actually, when they meet me at the border, um, I have to sign a non-disclosure agreement before I um, 
Okay. I'm allowed in, and and I have to check all my firearms at the border <laughs> too. But um, so we're going to skip next week. Yep, we'll be back in September. Okay. Right, what's next week? No, and then we got Labor Day the following week. Maybe we'll do a big Labor Day show. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, there was uh, a couple of people asked because I've been trying to get our webmistress, and I think she's going to get some T-shirts made up with oh, that yeah. thing wow. with the two-year note. And someone was asking about buying them. And I got, it, it kind of hit me. Like, we're not doing a swag store. I, I We gave somebody a, a freaking baseball hat because they won a contest. It took me three trips to the post office and then like $50 postage <laughs> to get this poor guy the hat. I'm like, so here's a business opportunity. If inside, somebody wants inside to open baseball cast, inside baseball cast at Gmail, if you want to run the merch store, okay, <laughs> exactly. Or maybe we can glean off of Kevin and Lena. Yeah. Maybe we can have a little eBay shop inside of their situation. But um, oh yeah, you're in any event. Your liquidity is ephem ephemeral. Your 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 liquidity is ephemeral. T-shirt has has been getting hits lately. People have been asking if they're going to make hoodies for the for autumn. You know, so like because we sold out of the T-shirts, we get the hoodies lined up. <laughs> I had mentioned that to Cheryl, and she says, "Are you worried about copyright infringement?" And I said, "You've obviously not listened to the show." <laughs> You take care of yourself, pal. All right, All pal. Right? See you soon. Be well. All Cheers. right. Buddy.